there are three forms of prayer. The first is help me. The second is give me. And the third is use me. But there is one prayer. Send me a drunk. And then go out into your day looking for that answered prayer and see what happens. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hello, ladies and gents, boys and girls, and welcome to this here episode number 175 of Sober Speak, where you will be hearing from Matthew M., Bill C., and J.S. on this here episode and what we call Kitchen Table AA. And there are some of you out there, I'm sure, saying, wait a sec, John M., did you say Matthew M., Bill C., and J.S. all on one episode? Well, yes, you heard right. Sit back and prepare to have your mind blown. But first things first, this episode is coming to you and brought to you by George and Rachel and Clay and Marcos and Trudy and Gerhard. Do you know what George and Rachel and Clay and Marcos and Trudy and Gerhard did? Well, they went to our website, www.soberspeak.com. They clicked on the little PayPal tab at the top right of the screen, and they made a contribution. Thank you so much, George and Rachel and Clay and Marcos and Trudy and Gerhard. This episode is coming right out to you. This, I, excuse me, John M., just another bozo on the bus will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings. And I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table and let's get started. Consider this podcast a non-social distancing podcast. You can get your earbuds or your speakers right up to your ears and listen on in. We are not going to make you socially distanced from us. We want you right up very close. <laughs> anyway, um, so some of you are new to the podcast and you think to yourself, John M., 
Well, which episode should I be listening to first? You have 175 or so of these things out here. Which episodes should I listen to first? Well, I can't tell you which episode to listen to first because quite honestly, it's like saying, which child is your favorite? They're all special to me. But if you go to our website, www.soberspeak.com, we were we are posting the I think it's going to be the top 20. I actually don't have it up there yet, but here's what happened. We sent out a poll via email to you the listeners and we let you vote on your favorite episodes. And it's either going to be the top tw- 10 or top 20 that we have posted by the time you hear this. But just go to the website and you're going to see a uh uh, a tab on there. It says something, I think it says 20, 2021 or 2020 top 10 or top 20, <laughs> one of the two. But anyway, you'll figure it out when you're there and you can go and you can see who Ewan's voted for. I got an email this week from George. And George says, Hi, John. Thanks for all you do and your good work. I am so blessed to hear your speakers. It is outstanding. Maybe I am fussy, but your show is three levels better than the others I have tried. Well, that's very kind of you, George. I appreciate that. But here's why I'm reading it on the front end. He says, my question is this, how do I access the Sunday yoga class. I do not see it on your website, but likely because of my search skills, I'm not a Facebook I'm not a Facebook person. So is there a way via email to get the link that would be great? Well, as you know, George, I sent you out the 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 flyer that goes along with that recovery yoga podcast. But what we did not have this thing posted on our website. So this week on the website, we're going to put some new stuff on there. One of the tabs is going to be uh, recovery resources, I think is what we're going to call it. And underneath that uh, recovery resources page, you will see the access information to this recovery yoga class. And uh, just in case you haven't heard me talk about this in the past, it's from 4 to 5 p.m. Central. It's on Zoom and the login and the passcode and all that stuff will be there. And it is a half The first half of it is a meeting, a recovery meeting. You don't have to be an alcoholic uh, uh, to come in there. You just have to be um, either in in recovery or interested in recovery. It's no big deal. You can come in there. The first half is kind of an open meeting and it is a recovery based. And then the second half of it is a yoga and meditation thing and is led usually at least by Megan P who has actually been on this podcast before and uh, I've been there at least five or six times absolutely love it I think it's fantastic many of you messaged me this week regarding the winter storms in Texas and the power outages we had here and I appreciate you guys checking up on me and the family All is well, but it was a bit rough there for uh, several days. You know, you can survive inside your house in the low 50s in your casa. That's Fahrenheit, by the way, in your casa. But it is, uh, you know, it's just not a lot of fun. Uh, The funniest part, uh, if you could call it funny, uh, was when the power would pop on and everyone in the house would start scrambling. In other words, 
some of us like me would run to the garage because I could actually open the garage because it's electric, you know, and we could escape in our cars. Uh, other times we would run to the microwave or the toaster so we could heat up something to eat. Uh, everyone in the family would run to plug in their phones and their devices in hopes that the 30 minutes that we were blessed by the power company or whatever we got rationed would provide enough juice. It truly was, in my mind, like a little it was like a little surprise party every time the power, the power popped on. We never knew when it was coming. We didn't know how long it would last. We'd be like, oh, great, there's power. Uh, most of the restaurants in the area were closed. I actually took my son to McDonald's one day because he wanted to go by there. And we noticed there were a few cars in line. So we thought, oh, well, maybe they're open. So we got in line and there was this guy walking outside in these sub-zero temperatures. I don't know how he was out there and what he was. He he really was not dressed warm. And he said, you know, we're closed because the power's down. And we said, well, what are those cars doing? And apparently there were cars waiting in line at the McDonald's and they were taking their chances. In other words, they were going to wait for the power to pop back on and then I guess they would cook them a burger or whatever they could do within that 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and then they pay for it and get out of there. But I said, nah, I'm not going to wait in line like that, but... Nonetheless, the grocery stores closed down or they, they closed early because of no power and they didn't have any food on the shelves. We actually had a pipes freeze in our two of the bathrooms. And I wasn't sure what was going to happen when the when when the pipe started to thaw, if if they were going to burst or what was going to happen so i had to run out to the hardware store and get one of those things when i was a kid we used to call them uh, church keys but they're tools that you use to turn off the water to the house and i actually got the last one can you imagine they were selling out of them right and then i had to go outside in the five degree weather and practice turning the water off and on because I didn't want to be winging it in the middle of the night if water started flooding the house. And uh, by the way, we ended up uh, blasting a space heater in the bathrooms and it actually ended up thawing out the pipes, thank goodness. So we didn't have any, uh, at least we don't know of any long-term problems yet. And when I was out driving around one day, I noticed that the liquor store had a sign on it and the liquor store had been closed because they had no power. And I thought, oh, no, there are going to be some unhappy campers in the area with the decision to close those liquor stores. But I can tell you that in a positive light, uh, our family grew closer, and this will be a big part of our family history. Remember when we went through that week that we went through? And I remember one night in particular, I was uh, sitting down in the den. The candlelights were on, and the gas fireplace was on. The kids were playing Monopoly by flashlight. My wife was reading a book. I was sitting there in my many layers of sweats, just kind of soaking it all in. And I was very proud of the family and 
how we all kind of adapted adapted to the circumstances. And I guess the main reason I share all of this, because, you know, hey, listen, I it was not fun for a while, but this is all relative, right? There are people who have had tornadoes wipe them out, earthquakes wipe them out, tsunamis wipe them out. And this really is nothing compared to a lot of that. This was like uncomfortability for several days. And I realize there's a lot of people who've been through a lot worse than I have. But the main reason to share all that is to say this is if I had been drinking, this would have been an entirely different experience. And hold on a second. I'm going to, I'm getting a book here, turning to page 133. And uh, okay. It says on page 133 of the big book in the family afterwards, it says, avoid then the deliberate manufacture of misery. But if trouble comes, cheerfully capitalize upon it, that trouble, as an opportunity to demonstrate his omnipotence. Now, folks, I'm not going to say every time I get a flat tire or something bad happens to me that I cheerfully capitalize upon it to prove his omnipotence. But I did try to stay closer to my higher power this week. I spent time in prayer. I spent time drawing near to him. And I would never have had that type of an experience with this type of a situation if I was out there drinking. All right, on to Mr. Well, on to the Misters. This is called Kitchen Table AA. This is with Bill C, J, S, Matthew M, all in one. And this was really kind of a, a good experience for me as too, because I was able to test out my audio editing skills because I've never had four people on one podcast, including myself. And it gets a little tricky with all the separate audio, but we had a good time. And Kitchen Table AA, well, they're going to explain it on the front, Bill, Jay, and Matthew, what it is. But we're going to discuss several things on this podcast. We discuss all of the various, uh, quote, anonymous meetings out there in the world and you know how they have popped up after Alcoholics Anonymous. We talk about the first 100 men and women in AA and some of the, I guess, controversy uh, surrounding that. We talk about Veronica and what Veronica meant to the beginning of the third tradition. Uh, we discuss stats for success in, a in AA. You know how there's always, you know, you always hear in AA, only one of so many people stay sober and only... You know, there are a lot of different stats and where people pull these from. Uh, anyway, we have a discussion about that. And we talk about the primary purpose of Alcoholics Anonymous. So, everybody, please enjoy Bill and Jay and Matthew here on Kitchen Table AA. And we have plenty, plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with not one and not two, but three alcoholics. And those alcoholics are Bill C, JS, and Matthew M. And th this would be my first four way. I mean, I don't know, you know. <laughs> alcoholic sober speak kind of way but anyway it's glad i'm glad to have all of you guys here 
And what we have planned to do today is something entitled Kitchen Table AA. We have talked about this on the podcast before. Um, but first of all, why don't I, before we go into that, why don't we have all of you guys just real briefly go ahead and give your your name, uh, last initial, your sobriety date, and what area of the country that you are hailing to us from. Bill, we'll start with you. Uh, Bill C., uh, March the 27th, 1985, Torrance, California. Matthew? Matthew M., May 16th, 1993, Santa Paula, California. J? J.S., uh, May 2nd, 1979, Sedona, Arizona. Glad you're all here. So once again, we're, we're going to be covering uh, a little, uh, uh, something that was kind of created by these guys is called uh, Kitchen Table AA. So, but, and we've talked about it, like I said, on other episodes before, but I do want to kind of give people a, uh, uh, for those of you who haven't heard the episodes before, can one of you guys kind of explain the trip to Iceland and how that came about and, you know, where Kitchen Table AA has come from and how it has evolved over the years. Uh, I'm Bill, alcoholic. And what happened is a guy named Arnor called me out of the blue and said he'd heard some talks and stuff and he wanted to invite me to come to Iceland and he wanted me to pick two other people uh, and come there to, to bring to them the kind of sobriety we have in the South Bay of Los Angeles. And, uh, and these Icelanders are a really interesting crowd. Uh, they're the guys that developed and started XA Speakers, and they have a, an interesting way of approaching AA. So what I thought was, well, who better but my sponsor and this guy that I sponsor? And all three of us were speaker guys. A's, Jay's quite the AA historian. And uh, some people think I'm a historian because I'm attached to Jay. And I let them believe that. <laughs> and uh, so the three of us, yeah, the three of us took our wives and we went to Iceland. We had an incredible experience. It, it was really fun. And, uh, and we gave a weekend thing and we called it Kitchen Table AA. And, you know, that's my email address now. I think that's around the time we established that. But it's about sitting across the kitchen table, reading the book with each other and what that's like. And, and we it really it's kind of a workshop originally on sponsorship and what that looks like and how you go about doing it. Who came up with the name? Do you remember? Probably Jay. You know, I mean, we were sitting around talking about it, you know, and and we'd been to Akron and we, you know, sat across the kitchen table and and we've we've always used that phrase, you know, it's and it 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 really comes from AA history, you know, Bill and Abby across the kitchen table, you know, and that kind of thing. Are you, so I can say, by the way, folks, you can't see their, their heads, but when I asked it, who came up with the kitchen table AA, they kind of all like a little bit scratched their head and, uh, you know, and it sounds like it probably was Jay. And it so. definitely was not Matthew. I can <laughs> tell you that. <laughs> all right. The arm of this, of this group. 
So a lot of what uh, goes on in Kitchen Table AA, from my understanding, is you guys, you tell your stories, and then you do Q&As, and then you get back around, and you have workshops. And so you guys have all kind of been, by the way, if anybody wants to hear their stories, Matthew or Bill or Jay, they're all on Sober Speak. You just have to do a keyword search and find them. And by the way, Bill, I want you to go ahead and give your email address because another thing that came out of that is that you have a daily AA email. I know a lot of our listeners on Sober Speak have contacted you, but why don't you go ahead and tell them about that daily AA email before we get any further? Uh, my email address is billc at kitchentableaa.com. And uh, I send out quotes. My friend Ed Moore over in the Netherlands started this years ago in the early 2000s, and I just kind of carried it on. And uh, if anybody would like to, all they got to do is send me their, send me an email and tell me where you are. I like to keep track of where people are just for my own curiosity, city and state. And I'd be happy to put you on the list. Perfect. All right. So once again, we've, we've kind of, we've been over the story. So I am just going to kind of take it and have control from here. In other words, I'm going to throw out some questions for you guys. Uh, you can pass if you want, or we just have a discussion on it, uh, or you can go to any topic that you want to go to. So the first question I have, like like uh, like Bill C. said, Jay is an historian. And before uh, I'm going to ask the question, Jay, and I'll let you go ahead and discuss your mm, your evolution as a host historian within Alcoholics Anonymous and how that came about. And I'm also curious if you were like that when you were a kid, if you've always been interested in history, things like that. But the first question I have is regarding the first hundred men and women in Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I have been in countless meetings and I'm sure you guys have as well to where they say, well, you know, Bill was really a promoter. It wasn't even a hundred. It was like 78, 76, 72. I've heard all kinds of different numbers. It's usually in the seventies, but there were only 70 or so different uh, people that first started Alcoholics Anonymous. So, so Jay, once again, give us a little background on you, your historian piece. Yeah. So Jay Alcoholic, my, uh, you know, I'm best described in the big book is, uh, as a strange chap with a queer idea of fun. And my idea of a queer, uh, of fun is history. And, uh, when I was a little boy, I got my first copy of, uh, an illustrated copy of the Iliad when I was eight years old. And I've just been enjoying it ever since. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that, you know, would walk, on the plains of Marathon, and uh, having read Thucydides, that's the kind of guy I am. I, I just, I love, I've always loved primary research, and so in Alcoholics Anonymous, we're a, we're a, uh, we're a society of storytellers, and one of the great things about stories is is that they don't have to be completely tied to fact. Um, I would suggest to anyone. Um, that's interested in what really happened um, to take a look at William Sheberg's The Writing of the Big Book, The Creation of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a wonderful book, and it describes 
in detail what happened between 1934 and 1939 with the publishing of the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, along those lines, one of the things that uh, my, my friend Mr. Schaberg and I created was the Symposium on AA History. And what we did is we invited people from around the United States that were doing primary research. In other words, it's not the retelling of what it is that your sponsor heard from his sponsor and all that stuff, because basically um, those are all very interesting and they're able to convey information and wisdom. But please don't, um, don't confuse it with the facts. Um, for myself, uh, when I first started being a an AA historian, one of the things I did was spent a lot of time trying to explain what Bill Wilson meant. Run from anyone who ever does that. <laughs> <laughs> Run. Um, because um, when I actually evolved in my research and was able to get into Stepping Stones and our general service office archives and actually read hundreds of Wilson's letters, he never, ever talked to me. He, he never said to anybody, oh, well, uh, from the problem that you've described, please turn to page 27, paragraph three, line two. Never once does he say that. In fact, he even said in one letter that the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous are to be taken in whatever order and in whatever time frame that is right for a person and their God. Now, I'd kick them out of our home group, right? <laughs> Saying stuff like that is just pure heresy, right? And we're looking for hierarchy. We're looking to create structure so that it makes us feel safe. And, uh, the miracle is far more wondrous than that. So back to your question about the uh, uh, about the first hundred, I think what, one of the things that we did at the symposium, I'll I'll, I'll kind of go back from that a little bit, and I think give you a piece of information nobody else has really. So turn up the volume. Um, there you go. So uh, how about? From the first edition of the book Alcoholics Anonymous, where it talks about, you know, the gives the percentage in the forward to the second edition. From the first, from the first edition, the authors and their stories. Fourteen out of the twenty-nine stories in the big book, those people stayed sober ongoing. Eight of the 29 had a slip or two. And seven of the 29 were considered failures. So the verdict is that 22 out of the 29 had recovered or a 75% rate. And that's absolutely documented. We know for a fact that this is what happened. Now, this sample is only 20 people. But, you know, what about the first 40? And from the first 40, we get very much the same. Uh, we get very much the same numbers. Um, there's a. Uh, so anyway, that's just uh, that's just a little bit. Uh, my friend John Barton did a wonderful job on the first hundred members 
each of the people, where it was they got sober, what their sobriety date was, and all that stuff. And um, uh, what he got was 62% uh, absolute success, another 14%, some drinks, but then they stayed. So again, you're over the 75%. So, okay. So, and it goes back to the, and once again, on the first hundred men and women, why is that number disputed? Well, if you look at the Rockefeller report and anybody can get it and download it, Frank Amos wrote it. And, uh, but uh, the uh, Hank Parkhurst was the one who, who did the documentation and reported to the to the uh, to the Rockefellers, and that's where that comes from. And the the there are eighteen cases that are uh, that are believed to be sober, but are out of contact. Who knows? Okay. So okay. Parkhurst was solid with that, um, and. Uh, and that's what was in the report, and they didn't they didn't bounce it. So, so were there a hundred men and women on the front end? Sure. Okay. And I mean, isn't that, that John? This is the thing. It doesn't matter a wits. It doesn't. the The whole thing about the hundred and Bill being a salesman and all that stuff. Okay, you can say that about the movement in nineteen thirty eight. 1939, but by 1941, once the Washington, or I mean, once the uh, Saturday Evening Post article comes out, the thing explodes. We've never had a track of numbers in the entire history of the fellowship that had any basis in what would be called factual. So for us to go back and try and impose that on people it's an interesting exercise but it's got nothing to do with anything that's important as far as carrying this life-giving message understood and the only reason i asked that i thought i had heard you on some other podcast or a, a tape or something talk about how that was all documented all those names were actually documented in some yeah, I've got, i got a bunch of stuff that i could i could uh Actually, I've got some stuff I could send you that you could put up on the site if you like. Who sure. was the okay. guy that gave the presentation at the History Symposium that was so good? John Barton. That's the stuff I was reading right, right there from his, from his talk. So, okay, so I want – okay, and this goes for any of you now, right? Bill, Matthew, Jay. So, um, But I do think it's interesting that, you know, you talk about the success rate. You talked about either 68% or 75% or, excuse me, or 62%. And then nowadays the success rate is not quite – what it was. And, and I don't really even know if AA keeps up with this stuff or not, but people talk about it. So I think it's an interesting subject matter. Do you know anything about the sex success rates, whatever, you know, in quote success rate now versus back in the day and what may distinguish those numbers and if it even matters? Matthew alcoholic. I think that there's, when you have a hundred people, give or take a few, it's easy to check out what your success rate is when you have hundreds of thousands of people. And this is what I think about that. You know, I work in medicine, right? 
And the most expensive medicine that anybody ever buys is the one that they don't use. <laughs> and when people come to AA meetings and later on somebody hands them a questionnaire, and I've been to many, many all over the world, never taken a survey about my success rate. And they say, I tried AA and it didn't work. They're, we all know, what does that mean? You went to five meetings, you hit on a girl, you drank and you never went back, or you worked the steps, you worked with others, you carried the message, you got in the car, you practiced the 11 step. My experience is the people that do that, it has a very, very high success rate. Uh, but people that say, I tried AA, like one of the things I say to people who, you know, fire me and want to not be in AA anymore, if, if it's true, I always say, well, please don't tell anyone you tried AA <laughs> because you didn't. You went to some AA meetings, right? Like I, I you know, I, I went to a Zen monastery in Mount Shasta when I was stoned in college. I can't say I was a Buddhist monk. <laughs> I went there for an hour and a half and they realized I was a bad risk and asked me, said I should come back later. <laughs> so that's how I feel about that. Okay, I understand. Bill, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. One thing, when we got into this, Jay and I put together a little presentation called Has AA Lost Its Edge? And it was to counteract or go after some people that were saying that we only had a 5% success rate because of some chart that supposedly came out of AA. We looked into it, and it's absolute bullshit. And that's a technical term. Not edit that out. Bullshit, right? I mean, there's no other better way to put it. There's just, there's no foundation for that 5%. There's no way. So one of the things you did, and some guys put together a, a, an analysis of how the census is come up with every five years. The AA does a census, right? Sends out the questionnaire. So when you read that, and it's pretty arcane, if you've got some background and statistics and stuff, you can really flesh it out. But the end result is they have no idea how many meetings there are, right. much less how many people there are in AA, much less how many of those people have been consistently sober from the time they came. No, I mean, literally no idea. Now they say that there's what, 2.5 million or whatever the number is. It's got to be low. I mean, they're only looking at meetings that are registered in New York. Most meetings are not even registered. You know, so they don't even get counted, right? Mm -hmm. Much less get a cross-section of a rough idea of how many people are in a home group, which there's virtually no home groups in, in the west side of the U.S. They're all just transient meetings. So they have no idea how many people there are. The other thing that I think is, is important, back in the day, back in the 75% success rate day, you know, back to basics when they were doing it correctly, like not reading the book and just hanging out with each other and going to hospitals. And, you know, back in the day, back, let's get back to basics, right? So we don't have to do that goddamn inventory shit. You know? And uh, so you know, I'm a little, I'm getting excited. But back in that time, there were there was one 12 step program. It was Alcoholics Anonymous. Now there's 300, right? So if you were really going to compile how successful this 12-step movement has been, I think you would have to include Cocaine Anonymous. You would have to include Narcotics Anonymous. You would have to include them. Because the way we handle singleness as a purpose, which seems so important to everybody, because we're being diluted by all the crackheads, <laughs> is that we, we help you found your own 12-step program, right? That's how we deal with that. So 
If there's two and a half million people in AA, which is really a rough estimate, how many people are in NA? How many people are in CA? How many people, you know, how successful has it been? It's got to be 10 million, 12, maybe. You know, if you really looked at the numbers, each one of those organizations has no way of knowing how many people are really in their organization. Man, there's no attendance records, you know. So the percentage thing about how successful we are is just worthless. Yeah, and and again, the other thing that's that's uh, that's that's important in this is who's asking. Evidence based. Evidence-based recovery, that's what we're looking for. And, uh, you know, the evidence is I haven't been to jail in 41 years. <laughs> <laughs> what other evidence do you want? Right. I couldn't stay out of jail. And I'm not a criminal. I'm just a drunk. <laughs> <laughs> it's pathetic. <laughs> Let me take a little break here. We will be continuing our conversation with Jay and Matthew and Bill in just a moment. But just a reminder, you're listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at SoberSpeak.com. You can also find the donate button on our website. You can use if and only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Uh, self, uh, Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to the crew here. All right, so I want to talk a little bit more about that piece with all the various uh, anonymous programs out there. I think that's very interesting. Uh, like Bill had mentioned, you know, there's, there's uh, who knows how many there are out there. And I want to get you guys like take feedback on that. And it really in relation to the primary purpose thing. And you know how you're in a meeting sometimes and somebody will say, well, I did this drug or I did that drug or they start talking about eating or whatever the case may be. And there's always kind of a little bit of a pause there, you know, like, what do we do? You know, how, what's the right way to go about this? So any of you guys go ahead and take it from there. Well, the, the thing that's, you know, with the primary purpose for, alcoholism to be successfully treated, it has to be self-diagnosed. Let me repeat that. In order for alcoholism to be successfully treated, it has to be self-diagnosed. And unless somebody's been in the rooms long enough to acquire the the information to diagnose themselves, our culture of publicly shaming people that don't know how to diagnose themselves yet has been, and I mean, the the way that we treated the whole hospital industry in the early 80s was, it was really, um, it was really poorly, poorly handled. So, Jay, I want, I'm curious about your thoughts about that. I, I agree with you. And I've been to meetings where people say, 
the guy's first day and they say, are you an alcoholic? And he says, I don't know. And they say, well, this is a close meeting. <laughs> and, you know, it says in the book, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. And I think we're in a time now, we have very, very many young people that are at our home group. The three men here all met in a home group in Hermosa Beach. And to think that those people never took a drug is is ridiculous, right? You know, I played in a band for a long time. I took a lot of drugs. But I think for me, I've seen it happen where, you know, if I'm not pretty confident that alcohol is a problem for me, that if I start, I, I develop the phenomenon of craving and I can't stop. There's always that lull in two or three years in. Say I'm a marijuana addict. I, I sponsored a marijuana addict. And I kept asking him, do you think you also have alcoholism? And he didn't, but he wanted to go to AA meetings. And I, my fear for that is there's always the point in your recovery where you can say, I'm just not like them. <laughs> and I can do this by myself. And, you know, and my, I have members of my family that raging alcoholics got sober for 20 years and thought they could smoke a joint. Well, they're drinking again, you know. So I, I just feel like there's a, a purpose to the primary purpose for the each individual alcoholic to get the recovery they're going to need at two years and five years and 20 years. And Bill, uh, Jay, what do you think? I well, absolutely, Matthew. The, the thing that is so brilliant about the anarcho-syndicalism of the 12-step movement, in other words, oh, you want to go start something? Here, here, go do it, is that each of the problems has a language and a set of behaviors Right. that are incomprehensible to people that don't do them. Right. Don't suffer from that. Ergo, the, so I think that this is why the, uh, now say my wife, she's got three different programs that she's involved in. I'm down to two, but. Um, <laughs> I only need one. I'm real simple. <laughs> And I need I need every one of her sponsors in order to save my life. But, <laughs> but the thing is, is that each of those fellowships has a language which doesn't cross-pollinate. The ultimate solution does, but the way of diagnosing themselves and dealing day-to-day -day with the pressures and challenges, those are the reasons why it's so vital that we have that singleness of purpose. But this idea that alcoholics and not that we're, you know, we're, we're still uh, acting like we have to keep AA safe for people who've been sober since 1950. They're all, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, we're, 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 we're busy, you know, trying to curry the favor of corpses. Okay, so let's talk about like really how it is, I guess, in a in a real meeting, if you will. You know, you're you're sitting there in a meeting. Uh, it's a closed AA meeting. Uh, somebody is there, and they want to share at length about uh, heroin or cocaine or whatever they're sharing about. How do you think that that should be handled? Well, I I have a real opinion about that. Bill, in a, in a, I, I'm sorry, but Bill has an experience that is much more important than the question. Would you please, could could you in like five minutes, Bill, tell these guys about the New Year's Eve 
meeting where the family came in? Oh, yeah. This is the answer. Yeah. Well, one of the things about it is that situation should virtually never be handled in the meeting. Right. Where you start shouting at some guy and tell him to shut up and chase him off and stand your ground and all that's ridiculous. There, there's no problem in Alcoholics Anonymous that can't be in, resolved through intelligent, informed sponsorship. You know, we've seen guys in our home group chased out and Jay would go out and explain to him what happened. This was years ago before we finally got rational and stop yelling at people in the meeting. It's just nobody deserves it. Usually what's happening is some guy doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know the rules. He's not trying to cause trouble. He's just trying to get sober. So and our job is when, when anyone reaches out for the hand of AA to be there. Now, one night in New Year's Eve, there was hardly anybody in the room. We were in there, and there were a handful of us. I think Steve Lamb was there with me. And it was... New Year's Eve, and you know, it was there was maybe 20 people in the room. It's normally 80 to 100 guys. And unbelievably, because it was God's will, <laughs> this guy and his wife walk in to a men's meeting, right? Right off the bat, there's a woman in the meeting. My God, what are we going to do? Right. And uh, she comes walking in, older, you know, they were clearly foreign, they, you know, from somewhere, Middle Eastern or something of that nature. And they come in, they sit down, they've got a young man with them. And uh, so we're, we're all sitting there, Lamb and I are going, just shut up. It, maybe they'll leave. You know, it's like, you don't know. This is, you get real uncomfortable. But you know, most of the assholes weren't there that night. So it was really helpful. So uh, uh, <laughs> the, at one point, the guy, the man, the father stands up and says, and he makes an announcement. He addresses the meeting. He has brought his son here, who's drunk, into the room. He needs help. You guys need to help my son. He didn't know where he was. He's got a son who's in trouble. And he's bringing his family with him to come and help his son, please. Now, what are we supposed to do? Yell him out of the room? <laughs> really? <laughs> because he broke some law that he has no understanding of? You know? And uh, so, so we listened and we just kind of calmed everybody down. Somebody said, so we just let him give his talk. It was very touching. It was very touching. So after the meeting, we go up and then later on in the, in the meeting, a, another guy walks in and sits down behind them, a guy that had never been to that meeting before. After the meeting, we converge on this family, right? And introduce ourselves and talk to him. And the son is hammered and he's kind of <laughs> grinning. He's feeling pretty good. This is interesting, you know? And the guy that walked in knew that kid had went to high school with him or something and had no idea. It was, you know, and this guy just out of the darkness, he walks into this room. And so we look at the guy and go, you got this? He goes, I got this. I got the kid. I'll take care of it. Mm. Perfect. Now, I don't know how God presents himself in your group conscience, but it was really clear that night. You know, exactly what was supposed to happen. And our little rules about women or drugs or anything seemed really irrelevant. Mm -hmm. So, Bill, I want to ask you specifically, because I know you have some background with drugs, you know, uh, we and I do as well. 
uh, a lot of them. Uh, but when it comes to sharing in a meeting, do you generally speaking share about that use? No, the, the, the meetings, if I'm in a meeting, like if I'm in my home group, it's about recovery from alcoholism. So what I usually will share about is some steps or some personal experience or something based upon what the topic of the meeting is. My sponsor, who's in this group with us tonight, told me, he says, AA is for recovery from alcoholism, not about how your day went, you know, and nobody's interested in my drug use, you know, and, uh, you know, every once in a while, somebody in the room will, will slip up and say something about drugs and then he'll look kind of sheepish and we just smile and nod, you know, I mean, it's like no one really cares about that, you know, in, in our home group. One thing, though, is, is that I don't know about Matthew so much. But I know that both Bill and I, when we tell our stories, not in a regular meeting, but when we're telling our stories, we always do about two to three minutes just to let people know that this is who we are. Mm -hmm. You know, like one of the things you can say, there's certain spiritual truths. Uh, alcohol plus money equals cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, a couple things about both, both these guys. I saw in that transitional period with most of each men's stag, Jay was sitting there. I was and I, I don't know, it was 20 years ago. And a guy said, I'm an addict. And he's, we asked, are you an alcoholic? And he said, no, I'm an addict. And Jay said, let me take you to a Narcotics Anonymous meeting. And he took him to a Narcotics Anonymous meeting. There's also a story that Bill used to talk about, and it always bothers me. It doesn't bother me. It just seems er erroneous when someone says, I'm an alcoholic addict. I don't care that you're an addict. I'm, I'm an alcoholic, uh, ambidextrous pool player. It doesn't have any effect on why I'm at in an AA meeting. But Jay, why don't you talk about how you got cured of saying alcoholic addict? Oh, well, my, my, uh, okay. It's 1979. It's, I'd gotten a sponsor on my fourth day and on probably my sixth day, he looks at me and he goes, I noticed that you're calling yourself an alcoholic and an addict. If you're doing that because you think it's a little hipper, slicker, and cooler, I suggest you drop it. This is Alcoholics Anonymous. Why don't you try being like everybody else for the first time in your life? <laughs> you said that to me. Yes. <laughs> you laid that for you. You laid that same thing on me. I was channeling. <laughs> Fourth dimension. <laughs> oh, that's great. All right. So, and, and we never did really uh, uh, completely cover all the, the various, like I said, the anonymous meetings out there and, and your thought on that. And if you think it's been good, if you think it's been, um, I, I, I just want to talk a little bit more about that. Do any of you want to address that a little bit? My wife, this year or two years ago, she's been in, she's had, she's got three, aside from being married to me, she's got three degenerative disorders. <laughs> They're genetic in nature. They're incurable. And, um, and so she has had a, a huge amount of physical suffering. Two years ago, she was at the end of her rope, basically bedridden. And she decided that she was going to go to a meeting a day. 
for 90 days. And she was get, she challenged God to get her to a meeting a day for 90 days. And physically, she couldn't get out of the house. She couldn't drive herself to the meetings. And she came across a fellowship. Um, she had a friend who had, had been encouraging her called Chronic Pain Anonymous. And when she went to her first meeting, there were 20 people at it. And every one of them was in bed on Zoom. Mm. And there was an immediate identification. And she got a sponsor and she worked the steps and it saved our marriage and her life. There are only about 600 people in that fellowship. Now, that's up from 400 when she joined. But these people are helping each other in ways that you can't even imagine. I mean, these folks can't get out of bed, and yet they're having movie night together. They've got breakout rooms where they share their art. They've got all kinds of <laughs> that they've created because of the nature of dealing with the spiritual and uh, emotional debilitation that comes with suffering from chronic pain on a regular basis. And I believe that every single fellowship out there adapts and morphs into ways that uniquely serve those suffering people. So I look forward to the day when there's a thousand anonymous programs, and I think it will be best for all of us. Well, and I'm, I got to say, I've always respected the overeaters and the sex addicts and, and, and Adele, that program, because I don't have to drink alcohol. I'm powerless over, but I have to eat food. Yeah. And if I'm in, if I want to have a healthy, successful relationship with somebody, I probably have to have sex. I, I would make that sacrifice if I had to do it, <laughs> but being able to say I'm powerless over something that I have to now monitor. I've always thought I my hat is off to them because my powerlessness over alcohol requires absolute abstinence. And I think that I agree with them. And you said, John, we haven't covered all the programs. You don't have time. <laughs> and we don't right. know of them, right? <laughs> we don't know them all. And, and sure. are there drug addicts hiding out in AA? Absolutely. Right? Can they hurt us? No. They can't mm -hmm. hurt us. Right. They're, they're a little, is there a difference between an alcoholic and, a, and an addict? Yes. I mean, I've been out there on the street. I ran with a bunch of heroin addicts and people like that. And there's a, there's a difference of personality between a stone cold heroin addicted, thieving criminal drug addict and a lame ass drunk <laughs> sitting <laughs> on the side of the street, you know, you know, there's a difference. And, and one of the things like Jay addressed very well is that, the language and the verbiage and the demeanor and, you know, like a lot of people say they don't like Narcotics Anonymous in L.A. Well, why not? Well, they're a bunch of bikers and ex-cons, and I'm not that. That's where Cocaine Anonymous came from. <laughs> Those, you know, people used to, and I'm going to use a bad word here, I hope it's okay, but used to call it starfucker sobriety. You know, it's like the cocaine addict. Is he a, is he a biker, drug addict, crip? No, he's some hip, slick, and cool thing is something else, you know, so they form their own group, you know, and I get it because there's personality difference. And I used to go to a lot of CA meetings when I was new and, and I gravitated, I ended up in AA because that's who I identified with. 
John, one of the things that I like dropping in meetings nowadays is, is the way you can tell the difference between the alcoholic and the addict is our relationship with carpeting. <laughs> he lays out on the carpet. It's warm. It's soft. It's carpeting. For the addict, carpeting is a never-ending source of hope and entertainment. <laughs> well, then, you know, Bob B. said probably that the thing that's lasted with me the longest when asked about that is AA losing its edge. And he said, try not to become too orthodox when you approach this program. There's one thing that's going to keep AA honest and it will never go away. And it's called alcohol. And as long as there, you need recovery from alcoholism and there is a way that's alive that has a way out, people will come no matter how much we screw it up. I mean, you're looking to the three of us like we know something, John. There, there's a problem right there. And <laughs> <laughs> we're being asked to answer questions with authority. You know, the inmates are running the asylum and it's fine because it'll always be alcohol. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I want to have, uh, we're getting close to wrap up time, but I want to have, I forget which one of you guys tells the story about Veronica. Do you know what I'm talking about there? Veronica, who came the cross dressing individual, I believe that. Oh, oh, oh. Well, I, I mean, <clears throat> John, it's very, very vital. I, I think one of the few pieces, not few pieces, but one of the fundamental pieces of information is available um, on tape, and I and I I hope that you will put it up. I think we talked about this before. Um, Barry Lynch, the guy who wrote uh, uh, "Living Sober," who is very very close to Lois and to Bill, um, uh, he was actually at the desk when Veronica showed up, and there's a tape of him at the 1975. Uh, convention in Montreal telling the story of the origin of the third tradition. And it's far better than any retelling that I can do. You know, the, the, but the, the ultimate thing was nobody wanted anything to do with this strung out, well coiffed, but badly dressed. And the makeup was awful, apparently, according to Barry, uh, a person that showed up. Nobody wanted anything to do with it. And finally, Barry called Wilson, and Wilson said, does he have a pr drinking problem? And Barry said, clearly. And Bill said, that's all we need to know. And so a little bit more of the backdrop. I believe Veronica was a cross-dressing man who showed up at the meeting and there was some sort of uh, discussion as to whether or not Veronica should be led in the meeting. Am I correct about that? Right. No, the police brought her <laughs> to the meeting because they didn't know what to do with her. Ah. Drop her off. <laughs> Here, you take him. The police said that. <laughs> to one of Mr. Cleveland's all-time lines, which is, have you ever noticed, John, that there are no referrals from Alcoholics Anonymous? <laughs> We're the last stop on the block. <laughs> yeah. 
this when is you get to us, we're not sending it anywhere else. I love that. Yeah, but but anyway, so the um, we'll make sure that you get that link so that people can listen to it because it's so important to hear it from the person that was there. Yeah, so you give me that link and I will put it in the show notes, Mr. J. So, all right, guys. Well, this has been fun. Um, we are definitely going to have to get back together at some point in the future. Uh, I'm assuming there's, I, I know there's the, the sponsorship workshop we can do. Uh, I know I've got several more questions that I did not get to, which I know you guys are authorities on, like Matthew was uh, telling me. <laughs> You are the truth, the final source that we need to go to. You know, and and as you know, none of us are quote authorities, but you do have a ton of experience, right? And you've been around a lot of meetings and and I want you to be able to share your wealth of knowledge that uh, other people may not have. Hopefully they don't have to go down the same rabbit holes and, you know, make the same mistakes and much like they created the traditions. And, uh, um, anyway, it was just fabulous having you guys. Anything else before we drop off here? Well, I'd, I'd like to, I'd, I'd like to say to anybody that is listening to this, that there are three forms of prayer. The first is give me, uh, help me. The second is give me, and the third is use me. And if you've had the privilege of being with the three of us and the four of us with John here, um, but, but please, there is one prayer. Send me a drunk. And then go out into your day looking for that answered prayer and see what happens. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Jay. I appreciate that. All right. We'll see you guys next time, whenever that is. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Oh, I do need to read this before we get off. Page 164 from the book. It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you and the fellowship of the spirit. And you will surely meet some of us like myself and Bill and Matthew and Jay, as you trudge the road of happy destiny, may God bless you and keep you until then. Thanks again, guys. Appreciate it. Jay and Matthew and Bill, once again, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to come in here and spend time with me so we could share this with the listeners most appreciated. And we will be having Bill and Jay and Matthew back on again here in the near future. Just got to get some time scheduled with them and do a follow-up for Kitchen Table AA. Remember now, we don't want you sharing your gossip, but We do want you sharing this episode with a friend or a family member. It may be just what they need today. So take some time to pause, hit that little share button on your device, and get it over to a friend or family member. Now, on to a little bit of listener feedback. Hillary writes in, and the subject line was grieving. And she says, hi, Mr. John M., 
I was on my walk today listening to the latest pod when I heard you, your intro about your tragic loss. I was just so very sad. When someone in our fellowship grieves these things in each other's lives, we all share in the sadness and loss. My prayers will continue for you and your family. I am sending you this email because I wanted you to be assured that you that you sharing this is so important for all of us. I have a loved one who is very unhealthy, a hurtful relationship, and has been in one for over five years now. Your experience with this tragic loss has brought me to a whole new level of awareness and deep prayer and action for my loved one and the suffering out there. I am pouring myself into recovery on all levels now, especially Al-Anon. I went to Al- I went to an Al-Anon parents meeting last night, and there were over 30 parents there sharing their experience, strength, and hope. Unfortunately, some of them have been through what you are now going through. That is our hope, dear brother. First, it is Almighty God who is near and dear to the brokenhearted. He is with you. Then there in this all then there is this almighty father who will bring justice and restoration to this unjust pain and suffering. Then there is this great fellowship of recovery and the beautiful ones we share with. I could hardly concentrate on Matthew's interview today after hearing your news, so I will listen to it again, but it was profound and timely, I could tell. You are doing great work, Mr. John M. Continue on now that you have many holding you in prayer and walking through the valley of the shadow or walking through the valley with you. Psalms 23. God bless you and your family. Hillary C., not Clinton. I remember she had written him before and, and I had uh, referenced whether or not when she said Hillary Clue, she, she whether she was Clinton. But nonetheless, um, if those, there may have been those who did not hear some of the, uh, did not hear the message that I heard on, that I, that I uh, relayed on the last episode with Matthew M during the beginning of it. Uh, I'm not going to go through all that again. Uh, just suffice it to say, uh, um, gosh, it, it's still messy. Uh, and it's still sad and, um, you know, but I know I'm not the only one going through things like this, but I thought it best to go ahead and share that. And thank you, Hillary, for writing in on that. And by the way, there are, there were many of you that wrote in and, and I, I'm not sharing all of them. I just wanted to share that one, but I just want to say thank you for your condolences and, and prayers for me, but mainly I, I'm thinking about, this young lady's immediate family, and uh, pr- just send your prayers to them. I, I I really appreciate it. God bless all of you. Barry writes in, and Barry says, well, he's referencing what I talked about on the beginning of this episode, and the subject line says, snow in Texas. And by the way, he found, uh, I don't know where he finds all these emojis, but it, it's a it's an emoji of a uh, it looks like a snowman with a, a cowboy hat on it. <laughs> Where does he find these things? And then he says, Bonsoir, John. A very concerned P- Barry here, quote, from across the pond. 
unquote. He says, John, I've been watching BBC News and it looks like Texas has finally frozen over five exclamation points. Well, we're better now, Barry. But he says, now this is a very important thought, John. Can I say, can I suggest you place your earmuffs on your microphone? And then he's got a, a, a note a song note emoji, and then a a microphone emoji. It's a very good microphone emoji. Once again, where he finds all these things, I have no idea. But he says, otherwise, this week's podcast will be frozen in time. Five exclamation points. Ha, 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 Barry. But anyway, he says, keep moving, keep praying, and the Texas heat will return. Oh, I'm sure he will. He says, tally ho for now, John. Barry, the pond ranger. Now, what does he mean by that, the pond ranger? So I get across the pond, and he talks about ranger, because that is a reference to Texas stuff. But I guess, is he calling himself the pond ranger? I don't know. He'll have to write back and explain that one. Anyway, another one from Sharla. As Sharla writes in, and she said, prayers for Texas. John, I wanted to reach out to the Dallas community and all others struggling through the winter storm impact and tell you. I am thinking of you and praying for all of you. Hopefully the water and the power are restored and soon uh, soon for all of those that are suffering. Would love Sharla from Ohio. Would love back at you, Miss Sharla. I appreciate it. Um, it'll all get back to normal eventually, uh, but God bless you. Thank you so much for writing in. I, I do appreciate it. Sonia writes in. Now, is it Sonia? Or is it Sonia? I've heard it pronounced both ways. I, for the moment, is going to say Sonia. Sonia writes in, she says, Hi, John, I'm an alcoholic, and my sobriety date is June the 4th of 2017. I heard about you, I heard about your show through the iHeart app. And have searched sober podcasts and yours popped up on top. So I just started listening. Well, how about that iHeart app? They are, they are brilliant over there at iHeart. Anyway, she says, I heard episode number 172 with Julia K and she was amazing. I'm hooked and I listen to it all day at work. Keep doing what you're doing. I appreciate this podcast. Have a great week, Sonia M. Well, great week. Right back out to you, Miss Sonia. Raya, R-A-E-A. Raya, I'm assuming is how you pronounce that. She DM'd Direct message me on the Instagram. He says, Hi, John. I appreciate your podcast so much, and I listen to it every morning while I get ready. I have been attempting sobriety on and off for about 10 years now. At times, for years at a time, I thought I had hit rock bottom last August when my marriage of 28 years came to an end. I was so lonely and heartbroken. I drank myself one night to the point that I was rushed to the ambulance to a hospital and I should not rush by the ambulance to a hospital and I should not be alive. 
I did do an outpatient program and I stayed sober for about 45 days. And then I met a new man who I thought was my soulmate. Uh Uh-oh, I got a feeling I know where this is going. I could be wrong. Who I thought was my soulmate and he met every daddy issue desire and gave me all the attention I ever wanted in my long marriage. I honestly thought God was finally answering my prayers and blessing me for doing everything in my power to save my marriage. He was a drinker, and I started to have a glass of wine or two with him, and I thought my heart was content, so I truly would have no need to drink away my loneliness. About a month ago, he began to change and became distant. We lived about four hours apart and he went from calling me every morning and every night and coming every weekend to to making excuses for not calling and changing plans. I found out I found out from a private message from his ex of three years that they were working on their relationship and have been back together living together and sleeping together. I was absolutely so shocked. I had a few days of drinking myself into oblivion and then got up on Sunday morning and made the decision that I am powerless over alcohol and I will never be and I will never be able to control it again. I have always been interested in the 12 steps, but being a pastor's wife and spending 30 years looking pretty and pretending my family was perfect, I now need to be transparent and authentic. Well, this is a good start, Raya. She says, I am three days sober and my first, and went to my first, and have my first AA meeting tomorrow with a possible sponsor, Raya. Well, Raya, God bless you. It sounds like you're on the right track. Uh, you're doing all the right things, uh, being authentic, seeking out help, uh, getting a sponsor, going to a meeting. Uh, you're on the right track. God bless you. Just keep it up. Thanks. And keep me posted. Okay. Brian writes in and Brian says, hi, John. I found Sober Speak on Spotify about three months ago and I love it. All the speakers I have listened to so far have been excellent. Very relatable. Brenda J, episode 90. Awesome. Live in Seattle. My sobriety date is May 24th of 2012. My home group is the Dawn Patrol. The Dawn Patrol. Although I attend several meetings based on Zoom availability, kind regards, Brian. Now, I am going to assume that the Dawn Patrol, D-A-W-N, is a very early meeting in the morning, but who knows? But nonetheless, I, I like the name of it. Thanks, Brian, for writing in. Cole writes in. He says, hey, John, Cole here from Scottsdale, Arizona. I love the podcast. I just finished listening to all of David G's episodes. Wow! Exclamation point. I feel like God led me to your podcast to hear David. I can hear God speaking to me through David. Sometimes I feel as if he's connected to me somehow. Laugh out loud. I can relate to so much of his personality. I have a little over five years of sobriety. However, never fully gave myself to God and completing the 12 steps. I recently started working my steps again, and I'm going to meetings after a two-year break, me playing God. 
Of course, something tragic had to happen to me in order to get me back on God's path and start seeking God. Hearing David go through the steps has been a blessing for me. I am so grateful to have heard his story as well. Thank you for doing the podcast and carrying the message. I would love to join the secret Facebook group. Also, would love to get in contact with David. Thanks. Well, as you know, I got you in contact with David, and we got you in, or I sent you an invite to the secret secret Facebook group. By the way, if you're listening to this, I don't think I've mentioned it on this episode so far. If you are not in the super secret Facebook group and you would like to be, send me your email associated with your Facebook account to John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com, and we will get you in there. Marcos writes in regarding... Episode number 173 with Bill C on step 11. He says, John, thank you and thank Bill C for the episode. The down to earth exclamation, explanation of meditation, hey, that rhymes, is just what I needed at this moment. The episode's message on the practicality of meditation resonated with me. Because even though I engage in activities during the day that require me to be in the present, the rest of the time I am not. And that's a dangerous and scary place for a recovering alcoholic. Thank you very much and keep going, John. It gets... It gets better for everybody, and that always includes you, my friend. Greetings from Puerto Rico. Well, greetings back to you from America, Mr. Marcos. Thank you for writing in. I'm glad you enjoyed that ep with Bill C. Julie writes in, and she says, Hi, John. I have been a member of Al-Anon since August of 2018, where I went for a solution for my alcoholic son's drinking. There, I found a room full of people who understood what I was going through and didn't judge me or my son. I also found a beautiful program of recovery for, in big capital letters, myself, and began to learn to take care of myself and find the boundaries of responsibility and entrust my son to the care of God. Simple things, but so difficult to do sometimes. It sure is. I found your podcast through Spencer's The Recovery Show podcast, and I'm so glad I did. Hearing the stories of your guests has helped me develop compassion and understanding for my son and has taught me so much about living out the principles of the program. I get some new nugget of wisdom from each episode. A couple of my favorite guests are Gary K. and Matthew M., and I also love the episodes with Alan Ons, Angie B., Thank you, John, for all you do to put this together, to to put together this podcast and keep it going. I'm sure it's more work than I realize, but it's probably more of a blessing to your listeners than you in big capital letters realize. Oh, thank you. It certainly is to me anyway. I'd love to be part of the super secret Facebook group. My email is such and such blessing to you and your amazing guests, and your precious family. A big heart, gratefully, Julie R. Well, thank you, Julie R. That was really, really a sweet email, and I'm glad that that we can be part of your journey. Patty writes in, and Patty says, Hi, John. My name is Patty. I'm from South Texas. I curr- I'm currently not in recovery because I'm so nervous of living life without alcohol. 
It would be a whole new life, though, and and although, oh, it would be a whole new life, and although it's what I'm scared to start. I'm nervous to go to a meeting and honestly just so nervous of never drinking again. My close friends know I have a problem and how sad I am, and I have mentioned to them how I feel about quitting, and they said they support me 100% but I am just so nervous. The pandemic has kept me from going out and I have made an effort to to stop drinking here at home, but I feel so restless. Although I love not being drunk and waking up without a hangover, I still feel restless. Yeah, we call that restless, irritable, and discontent, Patty. She says, a few times I have gone out and I made the effort not to drink and I am not comfortable. I get moody because I can't drink. I think everyone is annoying and I just don't want to be there because I want to drink too. Once again, Patty, we call that restless, irritable, and discontent. I get it. She says, I have read the big book because it was recommended to me by a recovering alcoholic. And honestly, it was so random how I met this person. And I strongly believe that God made that meeting and conversation happen. Although I often thought about living, uh, living a sober life, it was, it was always just a thought that would disappear after a while. But it wasn't until a certain incident happened a couple of days later that I met this person that the unexpected conversation and the purchase of the book, that being sober is a constant thought. I found your podcast simply by searching the word sober one day when I wanted to listen to something other than music. I love your podcast from the start. And honestly, it was just meant for, honestly, it's like it was just meant for me to find it. All the guest stories and honestly and honesty has intrigued me and it and it feels so amazing hearing their stories. I can't wait to come across one that is similar to me. Thank you for your amazing podcast, Patty. Well, Patty, as you know, I reached back out to you, asked you if you wanted me to get you in touch with, you know, one of the ladies in the program. You don't for right now, and I completely get it. Uh, if you ever change your mind, you let me know. And thank you so much for listening. And I'm glad we can help to um, shed some light on what may be going on in your life. And I know you said you're you're waiting to hear one that is similar to you, but to me, I think of several that are similar to you. So maybe one day though, we will have something on that is uh, something right up your alley, so to speak. Barbara writes in. She says, Aloha, John. Guess where she's from? Touching base on two things. First, I just finished the latest episode with Bill C. I am not an AA, but I am an Al-Anon. And I must tell you that I learned so much from listening to you and your guest. Alcoholics and Al-Anoners really aren't that much different when it comes to our personality defects. I believe that, Barbara. She says, I laughed out loud when Bill C. talked about how some say that alcoholics are super intelligent. And then he quickly added something like, not sure the Al-Anon folks would would agree. (laughs) I don't think they would agree either. Good point. Nope, not because we think we are the ones who are so, it's because we think we we are the ones who are super intelligence. 
So, so much so that some of us have been in charge of the universe, laugh out loud. (laughs) That's funny. I really enjoy the show and your gentle questioning at just the right times, along with your sense of humor, which makes the show very special. It's definitely on my recovery hit parade. A recovery hit parade. I like that. (laughs) I should add that into some of our uh, lingo or language You're on the website. Add Sober Speak to your recovery hit parade. Anyway, she says, second, I'd like to join the super secret Facebook group if that's possible. As a member of Al-Anon, it sounds like there are some good resources presented there. Well, yes, it's possible. Of course it is, Barbara. You can be in the Super Secret Facebook group. You do not have to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. You can be a member of Al-Anon or any 12-step group, or quite honestly, just kind of sober curious if you want to come in and see what we chat about all day. Um, that's it. She says, thanks again for your ser- service and sharing your and your guests experience strength and hope blessings barbara well thank you barbara and uh, glad you made it in the super secret facebook group and finally jason b writes in and jason says hi john i'm a new listener to the podcast and i am hooked I had four years sobriety, but slipped, and I am trying to get back on track. I'd really like to join your group and get support and feedback. And he's talking about the Super Secret Facebook group. Thanks, Jason B. All right, everybody. That's one more week. We have put out another episode. I take this one week at a time. I'll hopefully be back next week. Until then, keep coming back. It works if you work it. God bless you. Talk to you guys soon. And if you have any questions for me, reach out to John, J-O-H-N at Soberspeak.com. Bye-bye.